here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.2 FM in Tohoyando. Oliver Dixon on SAFM. The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're still coming to you live from the South African Cities Network. Um, and it is the Urban Fest. We're in conversation with various people around many different things that make up our cities. Also, it's a Wednesday. This is the Wednesday edition of the Talking Point. So we're talking health today. In a little while, we'll be talking about lupus and focusing on the lupus drive, a chronic illness that we don't have many medical answers to, just a whole lot of questions. Uh, but it attacks the immune system and in ways that are not easy to identify um, and often people living with lupus do not know that they have lupus until a very, very advanced stage. It's an important conversation. We're going to be speaking about that in a very, very short while. But right now I'm in conversation with Danga Mukogo, who is the program manager for Wild Governed Cities at the SA Cities Network. Danga, thank you so much for your time and joining us here on SAFM. What is a Wild Governed City? What does it look like? Do we know it? Have we seen it? Well, I think uh, a Wild Governed City, that's a very good question. I mean, a Wild Governed City is one in which... Um, the residents feel that uh, they are receiving the uh, basic services that uh, the constitution and indeed local government legislation um, requires the municipality to provide. Uh, but I think also importantly, and this is something that um, we need to emphasize, is that our democratic uh, vision was for developmental local government. Uh, and by that, we mean that communities should have a real input into the governance of the cities. And I think it's fair to say that perhaps at this point in time, there's been a deficit uh, in terms of the genuine engagement with communities uh, in the uh, municipalities in which they live. So while, yes, it, there are, in fact, instances of well-governed cities, but I think that extra step of taking the point of view of the communities really into consideration around the governance decisions, the planning decisions that are made in the cities is, is a, an ideal that we've yet to achieve. Yeah. So what to, to what extent do communities participate in the governance of their cities? beyond just voting for a councillor? Ah, yes. Uh, I mean, the uh, local government legislation requires that uh, municipalities have input to the integrated development plan, which, uh, for listeners who are not aware, is the five-year plan that every municipality must have for development within that municipality, which is then translated into a, uh, what's it called, a service delivery and uh, budget implementation plan, which the municipal manager has to action on in collaboration with the mayor for every year. communities are consulted on IDPs. Unfortunately, I think the vision of that IDP engagement in the legislation in the local government white paper from 1998 has still not been realized in practice because there's certain logistics around how do you actually get a community to provide input to a plan which is quite technocratic very often and how do you actually then have an iterative conversation around that when you have the pressure to create a plan that has to be actualized and associated with a particular budget. So what sort of contribution would a community member make at a IDP town hall? The community member could stand up and say, uh, get the school, we've been looking for a school and it's not here, or the roads are bad, or, um, you know, rather than um, the particular uh, you know, infrastructure you may want it to put in place in this particular location, we actually wanted it in another location. So there's also an element, and I think all nations uh, grapple with this, um, which is 
you know, how do you balance community needs and who are nece necessarily technical experts with um, the structure of a town, which typically has been designed by town planners yeah. who are particular experts, but also are taking input from the politicians who we elect, who then, you know, tell the planners that these are the things we've been voted on and these are the, uh, you know, goals and aspirations of our communities which we now want you to implement. So it's a delicate balancing act and many countries struggle with it, I mean, at the local level and indeed at the national level. Do we have an example anywhere of an IDP properly and fully implemented? I mean, yes, you could definitely see uh, you know, many examples across the country. I mean, uh, it's, it's clear that um, you know, the IDP process is still, um, you know, still in place. Um, it, it, it does work in many cases. I think the issue would be around the engagement. I mean, the fact of the matter is that at local government, when we look at the single most important thing that local government does, which is to provide free uh, uh, basic services to communities who uh, don't have access to them, but also to provide basic services across the board, uh, the story is one of success since 1994. If you compare yeah. what happened prior to that to now, um, we can definitely see that many communities who did not have access to services prior to 94 now do. Yes, there are communities who feel that they should have uh, received more services than they have, some who have not been reached entirely. But I think it's fair to say that using that IDP as a model to provide those basic services, that has in fact happened. Yeah. Um, is there enough work being done in you know, building an, a, a communication infrastructure between politicians, communities, technocrats in terms of input into this um, other than just saying to a community member, hey man, come to the town hall. Uh, are we doing enough to make them realize why their input is important in governance? I think we could do a lot more and there are in fact organizations um, that do work on that side and this is the important thing also to, to mention is that when we speak of developmental local government everything doesn't reside with government the whole point of the uh, of the philosophy of it is that there's only so many things the state can do yeah and in fact we require active citizens so citizens should be more active than during the time they vote, as you just mentioned, but also more active than just during, um, you know, IDP consultations. There's a whole calendar year, and of course, it's against the, the balanced against what commitments people have in terms of work and so on. But there's nothing stopping you from engaging with your ward councillor on a mm. daily basis if you mm. choose to do so. There's nothing from stopping you with engaging with your uh, PR councillor as well. Um, there's nothing that stops you from going to a council meeting to hear actually certain plans being debated, to hear the budget vote, and so on. And of course, this has to be balanced once again as I mentioned, against the ability of people to have time to step away from their livelihoods and so on. But at the end of the day, if we have active citizens, then government is held to account and actually citizens will then see a lot more of the things that they've been clamoring for. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's where you would find the technical capacity for some of the things you need in your community. There may just be the engineer uh, that's lived there long enough to know that uh, a sewer system wouldn't work here, would work somewhere else. Um, and, and, and that brings me maybe to the final question I want to ask you around capacity. Do we have the requisite capacity in our local government institutions to be able to create well-governed cities? Now, that's a very good question as well. I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that uh, capacity tends to be concentrated within the larger cities. Uh, and then when you go to the uh, district municipalities as well, and in fact, that was part of the local government demarcation model, was to say, let's concentrate capacity at the district uh, level and then local municipalities, which are 
under that district municipality can then tap into the expertise. There is also, as you mentioned, there's expertise in the civil society. There are faith-based organizations yeah. who know better how to deliver. There are community-based organizations how to better how to, particularly in dealing with um, informal communities and communities who have been marginalized. I think it's fair to say that the state is not very good at engaging with those communities. And that expertise you speak of, of making sure that people do in fact have sustenance, are able to engage with government, is something that exists in local communities and always has. Yeah. Danga, thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, that is... Uh, Danga Mokoko, who is the um, programs manager for Wild Govern Cities at the SA Cities Network. Uh, as we wrap up our conversation with regards to this, before we head on into our conversation uh, with the uh, about the lupus drive in our health feature today, let's have a listen at a couple of your voice notes that came that we didn't have a chance to get by to. Uh, and then on the other side of this, we'll continue the program and speak to Dr. Mpoti Siboka, who's a rheumatologist, Bonso uh, Mulao, um, who is uh, part of the lupus drive, as well as Nande Ntama Ntama Madanzina, who is part of the lupus, uh, who's a sol- lupus survivor, in fact. That conversation coming up a little bit later. But let's have a listen right now to some of your voice notes. 